The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance on News Talk. Good food and a good night's sleep seem like very simple concepts, but they can actually be very difficult to accomplish. Uh, My next guests are both experts in their fields and they help people every single day to take control of their nutrition, their sleep and I suppose ultimately their overall well-being. I'm joined now by sleep expert, clinical hypnotherapist and best-selling author Fiona Brennan and I'm also joined by dietitian and founder of eatwell.ie, Sarah Kyo. Good morning and welcome to you both. And let's talk sleep, first of all, Fiona, because uh, I was looking up, um, because I remember it from my school days, what Shakespeare had to say about sleep. Sleep that knits up the raveled sleeve of care, the death of each day's life, sore labour's bath, balm of hurt minds, great nature's second course, chief nourisher in life's feast. Bet you couldn't say it better than that. I don't think anyone could, but I really know what Shakespeare is referring to in terms of our best slept self. And this is someone that we all have capacity to be, but many of us are not very familiar with this best slept version of ourselves. And that's something that I really uh, work hard to help people uh, achieve. Okay, let's talk about what happens if you don't get good sleep. Well, That's where a lot of people are very familiar with it. The underslept self, I think we know. We know what it feels like to be discombobulated in terms of emotionally, our energy to be low, uh, to be more irritable, to feel our memory, our focus. All of these things are are actually very strongly impacted when we don't sleep well. Um, But what I love to do, and I think it's very important with sleep, is to actually look at practical things that can be done. We can all become better sleepers, if you like. Even good sleepers can become better. And I can attest to this personally and professionally, Pat, in terms of, of what we can do on a practical level to tweak our lifestyle and our mindset to actually really improve. I was looking at a a TED talk about sleep, Mm. a guy from Harvard, and uh, he was talking about that sleep affects uh, not just the mind mind and how you feel and your alertness, it also affects things like the cardiovascular system. Mm -hmm. So your physical health as well as your mental well-being is affected by a lack of sleep. Yes, your immune system, all of everything is is affected. I I don't think there's one thing that isn't. Um, Dr. Andrew Huberman, you may know his podcast, The the Huberman Lab, it's fantastic. He speaks about how how sleep really is, if you think of, of the pillars of lifestyle medicine, sleep is the hub and from that everything else will benefit. So in other ways, in other ways we're, we're sleeping well, we're going to make healthier food choices, we're going to get exercise, we're going to, to really look after mm-hmm. ourselves. And we'll talk to Sarah in a moment about those uh, yes. better food choices. Yeah. But talk to me about how a bad sleeper or even a relatively good sleeper can be a better sleeper. What are the tips? Well, I'm going to give four prime habits that I recommend. So the first one is that you you wake up and you go to bed at the same time roughly every night. Okay, so this is seven Mm -hmm. nights a week, whether you're on holiday, it's Christmas, you're working, you're getting up and you're going to bed at the same time roughly. And I say that word because I do believe like and it wasn't Shakespeare who said this, but all things in moderation, including moderation. Right. So we don't want to be too rigid. And I think that taking a light approach to sleep, it is a serious issue. But when we take a light approach to it, we see the benefits. So get up and go to bed at the same time. That sets a really good rhythm for your circadian rhythm. And it's one thing that will make a significant difference. Mm. Number two. Number two is to combine movement and light first thing in the morning. 
Okay, so when you rise, what we want to do is to get that morning light as soon as we can after waking. So within 20 minutes of rising, you want to be outside, whether that is having your cup of tea in the garden now that we're moving into the Are lighter. Are you talking about natural light, not I'm just switching on the kitchen lights to... A thousand percent, Pat. Like this is a bright studio we're in now. That's good. But I can tell you now it's nowhere near as effective as if we were outside in the air. Mm. You, you must get up a lot later than I do because it's <laughs> dark. I go out maybe with the dog at six in the morning and it's still pitch. Yes, that's true. When the, Depending, of course, on the season, when we don't, when we can't get natural light, we've, the second best thing is to get as much overhead artificial light as possible. But once the light starts to come through and even in winter, Pat, like say you're out with the dog, great. But then later on, walking to work, you want to get that light, for example. Mm. Okay. Um, I, I think Philips, uh, the electronics company, they have a, a, an alarm that wakes up and gradually increases the light levels in That's your right. room. And it's supposed to ease you into wakefulness. I would really recommend I use that myself. It's incredibly effective and helpful rather than a jarring alarm mm. clock. Okay, number so three, movement and light is number two. What's and number light, three? Yes, number three is to take time to unwind your mind before bed. So what I look at is the difference between, let's say, bedtime and sleep time. Most people think that's the same thing. They are not the same thing. It's if you imagine a, a racing car. So a lot of people's minds are racing. And if you imagine a car, right, and then it gets into bed, it's going to, it, it can't, it's going to crash. And that's why a lot of people struggle with an overactive mind. So what you want to do is take 60 minutes. So let's say you're, you want to be asleep by 11 p.m. Okay, at 10 p.m., you are starting to slowly unwind your mind. And this is what I call the blissful hour. So it's something you start to look forward to. You start to have a positive association with sleep and bed and it becomes time for you to really process. I mean, you do it with kids when they're babies, the bath time, the bath time ritual. So they know what's coming. Yes. And we are no different, even though we we are fully grown adults. We still respond. Our circadian rhythm responds very well. to. And the fourth? The fourth is to take time to rest in the middle of the day. Now, bear with me, right? Yeah. Because I know a lot of people, for for many people, this is a absolute luxury. It is a privilege, but I don't think it's a luxury. And what it is, is when you look at, for example, the blue zones, people where, you know, longevity is, is very high, most of them will take what is known as the siesta. Okay. And this is literally a short strategic nap, not a long nap. But 23 minutes is what the science shows us after lunch, anytime before 2.30. So I know for many people that is not realistic. But closing your eyes and slowing your mind down halfway through the day is actually really, really effective. Because what you're doing is you're allowing yourself to process during the day what's going on. So by the time you get to bed at night, go to that, that hour of unwinding, you're not like the car racing in. Okay, so uh, all good advice. Um, the napping in the afternoon is a bit I find difficult. I, can't, I knew you would. <laughs> I can't nap at all. I just can't. Uh, anyway. To rest, even to close your eyes, Pat, and no, breathe. No, for- ta- n- I'm sorry. <laughs> just, no, I walk the dog in the middle of the day if well, I can. That's maybe that uh, I'm getting the daylight that's good for me. Sarah, what about um, your diet? Because most people have at least at least three meals a day, breakfast, mm-hmm. lunch, dinner. Perhaps some people have supper. People have afternoon snacks, morning snacks with their, all of that. So what's best? 
Well, if we're talking about sort of from nearly a mental health point of view, um, what's really important is that you do actually eat, which sounds almost crazy. But sometimes people are on such restrictive diets and they've cut out so many different foods that they're hanging around hungry. And straight away we talk about hangry and that really is a thing. So one of the things if I'm working with someone who is struggling, particularly with mood, we get breakfast in. And really important to do that within, I'd always say within about an hour of getting up, but sooner if you can. And I know fashions come and go in terms of weight loss and all these things. And people talk about fasting. But if you're struggling with your mood, eat. You need to get your blood glucose a little bit up in the morning. You need Mm. to nourish your body. And breakfast is the meal in the day where we actually tend to get a good bit of our protein or fibre. And, you know, we don't often think of fibre and mood, but actually fibre is very important for feeding your gut bacteria. And we now know that the gut bacteria do have a big impact on our mood um, in the day as well. So breakfast, really important yes. to start. Now, people have different kinds of breakfast. Mm-hmm. I mean, some people will have a slice of uh, maybe brown toast and they'll say, that's my fibre. That's not your fibre. It's not. It's not. It's going to be a start. I mean, that's the thing. Like, you, you know, we need at least 25 grams of fibre a day. You're getting about two grams from a slice of brown bread. So, so what would you get uh, fibre from? I mean, if you had... You classic cornflake. Is there much fibre in that? So depending, roughly brands, you're going to get about 0.5 grams of fibre in something like that. Um, Your porridge will give you maybe three or four, you know, things like that. So most of your high fibre breakfast cereals, you're looking at three or four. And it is why we will talk about fibre through the day rather than just breakfast. But if people miss breakfast, I find they really don't catch up on fibre because they skip that high. You know, nobody eats porridge at lunch. Okay, so you you do a breakfast like a king. Isn't that it? And lunch like a... If a prince and, and uh, dine like a pauper. The, the argument goes about when and to eat your huge amounts of food. I'd always argue your stomach doesn't get any bigger at different times in the day. So <laughs> kind of eat what you need and stop worrying about it. Um, you know, but it is what I'd say is get those three meals in. Mm-hmm. Um, it's good for your body to be fueled. There's a reason why you go across the world. That same pattern is quite consistent. Yeah. Three meals a day. People get crotchety because oh, yeah. uh, their blood sugars go, go yeah. down. I mean... I, if I'm busy, I don't mm-hmm. notice. But I have worked with people over the years. There was one director I worked with, and uh, if he didn't get his grub at the appropriate time around one o'clock, oh, you it was you very know. difficult yep. to, to deal with them. Uh, this uh, text: I'm menopausal. Any foods that might improve my symptoms, uh, or any that uh, could be making it worse. So menopause is kind of the big thing at the moment. And suddenly there's all these supplements and diets and people writing books and all the rest. To be honest, for menopause, there is no special diet or food that's going to do anything for menopausal symptoms. There's lots of studies, but we don't really see anything coming out going, yes, this will work. What we do talk about from a symptom point of view is go and see your GP. You might just need that hormonal replacement for it. From a nutrition point of view, you're just going to maintain bones and cholesterol and those those things that are change in menopause. Naturally hormonal foods. No. No. Okay. Not not for this, no. Very good. Quick quick <laughs> answer there. Uh, what would you recommend as the best food to eat before and after working out? Uh, in my case, says this texture, usually a run or a weight session. Um to be honest, I get asked this a lot because we see athletes doing fantastic work in terms of their nutrition and they eat, you know, you know, carbs before and protein after and all the rest. If you're an elite athlete, that matters. If you're someone who is going to the gym once or twice a week, it doesn't actually make a whole lot of difference. As long with things like protein, you need to get it in somewhere in the day. Um, I see lots of people are told you have to have it straight after exercising. It actually doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm often anemic, which makes me sleep. But what are the best foods uh, to improve that well, situation? Well, if you're regularly and frequently anemic, I'd want to know why you're not absorbing your iron. So I'd be going off to get a celiac test first and okay. a good chat with my GP. Otherwise, after that, go and see a dietitian because maybe you're just not eating enough iron. Now for Fiona, um, the phone, it really does harm sleep. Literally, I can't stop looking at mine in bed. And first thing when I wake up in the morning, last thing before I go to sleep, and my sleep has never been great. 
Yeah, well, not surprising. It's like I was saying that unwinding the mind. So you're not alone here, to be honest. It's really, really common. So many people do this. But what I would recommend is if it's such a habit, take the phone and put it out of your room. It's quite simple. Get a a normal alarm clock, the old fashioned alarm clock and prioritise your sleep at all costs. Uh, This one, I go for an hour long nap every day between six and seven with my pooch. And I sleep like a baby. Isn't that nice? That's from Dorothy. Uh, another one about sleep. Uh, do, do, do. Yeah, outside in the light, great. But is inside with natural light coming through the window as good? No, it's about 50 times less impactful, less effective, to be honest. We, we want that natural light. I can't emphasise this enough, the difference. It's better than nothing, but it's not going to be as effective. Uh, Ben here I wake up five to seven times every night max six hours in bed I'm 58 and I've been like this for 40 years Yeah I've met you before not you exactly but I've had many clients who have similar stories of woe to tell and there is hope and I think that's what's really important is that you start to shift your relationship with it we all wake up during the night but it's how we respond to that rising we all go into lighter phases of sleep especially in the the second half of the night of sleep. So the last four hours uh, is when we tend to be more light phased sleep. All right. Well, um, we've got some sage advice from you both this morning, but you're going to be giving more because you're both involved in an event, uh, which is uh, the Purple House Wellness Day. It's taking place at the Paris Court House uh, this Sunday. Uh, It's going to feature the sleep workshop from Fiona, uh, Sarah on nutrition and a host of other speakers like performance psychologist Jerry Hussey and Dermot Gavin's going to be there as well. Uh, Everyone who gets a ticket will have a goodie bag included and there are loads of nice raffle prizes on the day, including dinner at the Marker Hotel, a voucher for the Institute of Dermatology and various hotel breaks as well. But the good thing is, this is for everybody, but the proceeds go to Purple House Cancer Support, which is a a great service to help people affected by cancer. So there you are. I hope you have a great day on Sunday at Powers Court House. The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance. Weekdays at 9am on News Talk.